0: All right. Well, I am very excited to be here with a very special guest who I think this is now like the third chance we've had to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is email. Raul Vorha is the CEO and founder of Superhuman. Raul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I mentioned that this is one of my favorite topics and one of the reasons is I think that a lot of people struggle with sort of getting a grip on their email. And Superhuman is one of those apps that really was built to help people with that. But I guess the best place for us to start is as you were building this app, it was in response to the fact that a lot of people are kind of doing email wrong. And so I want to hear from you sort of what that looks like. What is it that people are doing wrong with email? Because then we can kind of talk about how Superhuman solves that just broadly, and then with some very specific things, including some news that you guys are announcing today as we release this podcast.
1: Yeah, that is the best place to start. And also, it's weird, isn't it? Like, no one teaches us how to do email, yet it's this thing that most of us, in fact, on average, we spend three hours a day doing, and we're just sort of expected to figure it out as we go. So, unsurprisingly, I've looked into this in considerable detail. And there are seven things, the seven deadly sins, if you will, that I see. Now, not all people do all of these things, but I've definitely seen all of them. Uh, the first is trash your folders. Uh, folks waste time putting emails in folders and labels, and it can feel orderly, it can feel satisfying, but many studies have shown that actually it wastes a huge amount of time, roughly about an hour a week. The second thing is use keyboard shortcuts. There are a few things for which the mouse is faster, and that could be an interesting side tangent, but for most things, especially email, keyboard is the fastest. In fact, uh, someone wrote that if you work eight-hour days, based on some typical estimations, you can actually save 134 hours a year by adopting keyboard shortcuts. or about 17 work days a year.
0: Okay, hold on. Let me stop you for one. Let me stop you for one second because I want to actually go back. I, I love that you have seven points for this because you, it, one, you've obviously thought about it, but I think that that's going to make this super actionable for people, but I actually want to stop on the first one because you're right. I actually was sitting next to someone who um ma- who who manages someone else's email and then they have this system where, you know, it's like emails that need to be dealt with this week, emails that need to be, uh, you know, followed up on by so-and-so emails for this. And they're, you know, I'm not kidding. I was looking in their Gmail and there was maybe, I'm not exaggerating to say at least 30 different folders. And And there wasn't just 30 different folders that said like emails from mom, emails from, you know, whoever that I'm saving for, you know, receipts, travel, whatever. It was like, the whole workflow they were doing, you know, emails go into a folder and come out of a folder and, and, and go to different folders and do, and I'm wondering, like, why do people do that? <laughs> you, you said we shouldn't do that, but like, where did that even come from? If you have any idea?
1: Well, that may be the one case where it's possibly okay. The folders there are really a stand-in for collaboration between two different people. And that seems fine. It's just a collection of emails. And you might look at the folders for this week at the end of the week and turn your attention to the things that really matter. Uh, what I'm talking about is, and you've probably seen this as well. I certainly grew up this way. The idea that every email you got or most emails you got, you'd either delete them or you'd put them away for quote unquote safe keeping or you know, you'd know, you make a project folder or a folder for a specific client or company or customer or, or what have you. That's the thing, which is a huge waste of time and a huge number of people actually still do that.
0: Yeah. And I think it you know i guess that made sense at one point before for example gmail right which they happen to be pretty good at search and so it's really okay to just put everything into a bucket and say if i need the emails from my mom i don't need a folder that says mom i should just search all my emails and it should just give me all of them is that that's what you're saying right
1: exactly yeah simply by switching from relying on pre foldering pre labeling pre searching if you will to Just search when you need to search. You can save an hour a week. Now, there is one, since we're going deep on this topic, there is actually one use case where foldering or labelling still actually makes sense in addition to the collaboration one you just outlined, which is when you need to create a collection of disparate emails for which no reasonable search term would return. And the classic example, and I do this myself, is taxes. Uh, This is a sort of a God bless America moment. I I love how complicated (laughs) it is here, having grown up in England. But you get all these K-1s and 1099s and whatever else they are. And there's twice a year, I want to be able to pull them all down without having to search for every single institution, every single investment, every single everything. And that's a good example where actually a label makes sense. I just label every single one of those emails taxes. And when it's ready, I just go to the taxes label.
0: Now that does make sense and uh, sorry to our listeners for having to bring up such a uh, exciting example but I think I think you're right <laughs> that there are probably some of those yeah cuz what would you be searching for like just cuz you search for 1099 that's only going to bring up a small number of things and then you might search like it would just get unwieldy so I guess that kind of thing makes sense. So we made it through two and mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple more here. Let's 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 keep going with with your list.
1: All right, well I got five more for you. So okay, the good. The third is processing your inbox once or twice per day. Uh, Folks are in their email all the time. And, you know, maybe you have a job where that's actually the job and that's fine. But most of us don't. And when we're doing that, we're reducing time for other things and we're increasing the chances of mistake.
0: So, like, you mentioned there are some exceptions before for the other thing, like, I find that in my email, I try to do that. I try to check it first thing in the morning in case there was anything that I needed to deal with right away. And then I try to check it like late afternoon just to for the people who are responding to all the things that I might have done. But at the same time, there are also a group of people who I do want to to hear from. And I find that there are a variety of ways you can do this. But like on my iPhone, I can just set up a focus that says I want emails, Slack messages, messages from Only these five people. The rest of it, I'm going to have to go in, but I only get push notifications from those
1: people. Is that the kind of thing that we're talking about? Exactly. I think it's unrealistic to your point of going completely cold turkey for many of us. We have to pay attention to our manager or certain specific stakeholders, or maybe there's a deal we're trying to close right now, whatever the example is. But so what I'm not advocating is sort of like a black and white rule, but Try as much as you can to stay out of your inbox except once or twice a day. Yeah. And this is really more about freeing up your mental capacity for everything else that you're doing.
0: Yeah, because I mean if you think about it, I know that the, that the mental model is not exactly the same. But if you you get physical mail once the you know, the mail person the, the delivery person only comes once a day, right? Imagine if they just walked by your house every three minutes and and dropped more mail on they would get but that's really what we do digitally, right? We would we would spend our whole day opening physical mail and just like our inbox, it's mostly junk. And so that would be a colossal waste of time instead of just, okay, the mail came in, let's look through it. Is there anything important? Let's set it aside and deal with it. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that really the, the original, you know, concept of email came sort of as a parallel from the physical, but we treat them completely differently just because, there's a constant stream of things coming in, but it doesn't mean that just because there's a constant stream coming in,
1: we have to respond that way. Exactly. And the problem is if you do respond that way, you're kind of telling other people, Hey, it's okay to expect this of me. Uh, You're almost basically saying, Hey, yeah, you can abuse my inbox. So short answer, don't do that. It will set the right expectations (laughs) with other people.
0: Right. Okay. So number four,
1: archive your backlog. So I've seen inboxes with hundreds, thousands, even millions. I think the most I saw was maybe three and a half million uh, emails. And of course that's super unhealthy. And there's a little bit of brain science here. Whenever we approach a new task, our brain is in either one of two modes, mind-wandering mode or task-focused attention. And it's task-focused attention that you actually want. But if you imagine looking at an overflowing inbox, that puts you in mind-wandering mode. And that distracts you from everything else you're trying to do. So what we do with Superhuman is, uh, and this is just general advice, you don't need to, to use Superhuman for this, but decide on your personal use by date for email. You know, will you really reply to emails that are older than a month or even a week? I know that we all intend to do so and we kind of keep them around in our inbox out of a misguided sense of guilt, but we probably will never catch up. And what I've found is that the most productive people in the world don't even try. So what you should simply do is pick a time. We recommend a week and archive everything older than a week. You'll then be within the stones throw of inbox zero and be able to focus on what matters.
0: I like that. I mean, you're just giving yourself permission to to stop lying to yourself (laughs) about that thing. Someone sent you, you know, three months ago that you you, you swore you were going to deal with or you swore you were going to sign up for. You swore you're going to respond at some point, though it's not even worth it, right? It's not even worth putting off the future things that you need to do to keep that mental overhead of those emails
1: that are, that are, that are that old. Exactly. Another way of thinking about this is yes, giving yourself permission. It's a form of self-compassion. It's also pragmatism. I mean, think about that email that you've been sitting on for three months. I'm I'm sure we all have them. Now imagine actually opening it up. What are you going to say? Are you going to be like, Hey, sorry, dude, I completely ignored you for three months, but now I'm ready to have this conversation. No, you're just going to let the guilt fester. So let's let's all collectively agree to stop doing that.
0: Yeah. I have a, uh, a friend who used to, when they would go away on vacation for a week or for two weeks, they'd set up their autoresponder and it would simply say, I'm going to be gone until X date. When I get back, I'm deleting everything. That comes in so if it's important email me after that so that way they, when they come back they're not trying to catch up on two weeks worth of stuff because the the junk will just get deleted the things that are really important those people who really wanted to reach out to the, to him would would make a note and make the initiative to respond and it's kind of like you're you're sort of doing the same thing where you're saying like i i just i just have to and if it is important and you and you deleted that three-month-old and that person the, not deleted the three-month-old the three-month-old email that person's probably going to reach back out to you if it really was important. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Great. Okay. So I think we got to number five, which is don't mark as unread, but archive instead. So broadly speaking, there are two ways of organizing an inbox. You can let your inbox grow infinitely and treat all unread emails as things to do, or you can archive the emails when they're done, sometimes called mark done, and see your inbox itself as the list of things to do and it turns out to be way faster to do the latter. So let's imagine unread emails are your to-do list. You then have to meticulously maintain that unread status. Let's say you receive an intriguing email. You can't help but open it, which by the way, you shouldn't do, but let's say you did. (laughs) Now you have to mark it unread. But wait, there's one more thing you want to check. So you go and open it again. And once again, you have to mark it unread. But if your inbox itself is your to-do list? You can avoid this super archaic and ancient ritual. Just archive emails when they're done. The emails then disappear from your inbox, and you have to be comfortable relying on search, but I think most of us are. and And this works. Not only is archiving faster, it also creates a less stressful inbox,
0: yeah. and i I actually sort of chuckle because I believe you. I really do believe you that people do that, but that just kind of blows my mind the idea of using the little blue dot as a reminder to do something. Whereas just if it's in your inbox, just know you have to do something with it.
1: I agree. But I think this goes back to what we said at the start. No one taught folks how to do this. And maybe we watched or we learned as we do through mimicry and we saw somebody else mark as unread and we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's easy. I'm just gonna go back to all the unread things. Uh, next thing you know, they're intermingled with all the red things and there's no good way of just focusing on them.
0: Great, okay, number six.
1: Automate your triage. So email volume isn't our only challenge here. It's also email variety. You know, in an untriaged inbox, let's make this uh, real. Urgent emails are going to hide in a deluge of, let's say, Google Doc notifications. And FYIs obscure time-sensitive opportunities. And calendar invites push critical messages ever deeper into that inbox. Now, the solution is automatic triage that groups emails by type. If you reply to the emails in the order that they appear, which, by the way, is what most productivity consultants would tell you to do, and it's actually coming from a good place, the problem is your brain will constantly switch gears. You'll flick back and forth between projects. You'll alternate between brief acknowledgements to in-depth replies. You'll flip from updating your team to messaging your boss to replying to family, And that's called context switching, and it costs you super valuable time. Worse, you don't even feel it's happening. You just get fatigued and unsatisfied, and you're you're way more likely to lose focus. So instead, use an email client that lets you group emails by type in a very specific way, essentially automating triage.
0: Yeah, because the comment that someone left in response to your comment on a Google Doc is not the same thing as a calendar invite from your boss is not the same thing as an update from you know your kid about their latest you know accomplishment in college or whatever.
1: Right. And ideally, you're looking at all of the comments from your boss in one go. You're looking at all of your Google Docs documents in one go. Chances are they're related to the same or similar projects. And there should be some order to how we go through our inbox that isn't as old and as simple as the last thing that happened.
0: Right. Chronological is a good algorithm for some things, (laughs) but not necessarily for dealing with your inbox because you don't have any control over when things were sent to you. But you do have, but you know, you want to, it's basically like time blocking, but with your email.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Number seven.
1: Last but not least, set reminders to follow up. So imagine you're sending a crucial email, you're closing a deal, you're trying to meet a deadline, you're landing a meeting, but the reality is folks are busy and you might not hear back. So what do you do? I have seen people try to keep everything in their head. It doesn't work very well. I've seen others try to maintain tools to painstakingly track this to-do list. The problem is the to-do list becomes full of things like follow up with Jason, follow up with Bob, follow up with Alice, whatever it is. And those are these what I call micro tasks, these follow-up tasks are intermingled with real meaty, weighty tasks, things that might take an hour. So instead, set follow-up reminders. As you send an email, you should be setting a reminder in the email app to bring it back, for example, in two days or next week uh, or next month. Depends on the email, of course. But you should not be maintaining the mental load of all the things you have to follow up on.
0: Okay. And I think that's probably a pretty pretty common one. And it might be one of the reasons that, you know, people will respond to an email and then they leave it in their inbox and then they mark it on red because they want to make sure that if they don't hear from somebody (laughs) in two days that they send another email. But but it starts like you're just building up your own
1: email debt like by doing that. Yeah. I mean, when you said that, I just, I, I shivered. That is three of the deadly sins all at once.
0: Right, and I'm sure there's there's someone listening to this right now who I just made very mad because I offended them. But we're gonna help <laughs> this. We're gonna we're yes. gonna solve this problem. So talk to me about. I've been using superhuman uh, since I guess it would have been roughly like last September or so, and and it's actually done a really good thing for me because I actually only use it for one of my email accounts, and so. In and of itself, it's the email account that I get the most, but it's all work-related. And so when I'm using Superhuman, I'm actually only dealing with work, which I kind of like the fact that I don't get distracted by the other things. Uh, So I am pretty familiar with it, but obviously Superhuman has an opinion about how to deal with your email that you sort of just rolled out, but
1: talk to me now about how Superhuman does that. Well, Superhuman, we designed to be the fastest email experience ever made. And to your point, it is all about work email. Uh, you can connect as many personal email accounts as you want to it, so long as they're Gmail or Office 365. But it's really all about the work email, the three hours a day that professionals on average spend doing that. And as I think about the problems we just talked through, first of all, Superhuman is designed so that you can archive emails super quickly. Now, you can still fold it and label when you need to, but it's built around this idea of archiving. Next, it's designed so you can do everything from the keyboard and you never have to touch the mouse. Now, you might think that, well, most apps have keyboard shortcuts, certainly Gmail and Outlook do. But as you yourself know, superhuman is on a whole other level. And even if you don't know any shortcuts or I realize they can sound a bit scary, we have you covered there too. You only have to remember one shortcut for what we call superhuman command, which you can then use to look up anything else that you might want to do. Uh, Superhuman is also designed to keep you in flow. So when you're looking at a conversation, you can't actually see the inbox. You can't be distracted by it. And for the folks with hundreds, thousands, or even millions of emails in their inbox, we have a feature called Get Me to Zero, which helps you clean up the backlog. And then speaking of features, one of our most powerful features is split inbox. This is what I previously called automated triage. It lets you split your inbox into streams that you can then focus on. So I personally have streams for Figma, the design tool, Notion, the wiki, Google Docs, and internal company emails. And the thing that blows me away, even to this day, is is that it really does work. And a little bit embarrassing to say this, but I'll go ahead and say it. It works better than I ever thought it would. We actually just wrapped up an analysis of 10,000 superhuman users. We compared their 30 days before using Superhuman to their 30 days afterwards. And we found that in the pre-post analysis, they are replying to twice the volume of email in any given period of time. They are replying eight to 13 hours sooner, and they're saving four hours or more every single week. And I can tell you that was a jaw-dropping moment, even for me when I saw those numbers.
0: You know, when we were in Toronto and you were showing me something in superhuman and I actually when we were when you were showing it to me, I could see what you just described like Figma or whatever and I stole that because you know the, the by default you can set up split in boxes for things like other important VIP team, but but you can set them up for really anything, right? You can say everything that comes to me from for example, Notion, I can just save that search it's dynamic, right? It'll automatically populate, but I can save it as a split inbox. And and honestly, that to me was one of the, oh, like you mean all my calendar invites can come into one and I can have everything that's from this group of people come into the other. And I get a lot of Notion updates, but I don't need to see them all, all the time and have those show up in one place. You weren't even like trying to convince me of that. And yet I was, I was,
1: I was sold immediately. It's so obvious. I think, like you said, when you see it, you're like, aha, I need that. And yet Historically, we've been in this single list. I mean, Outlook and Gmail have basic grouping. Outlook has focused inbox, and then Gmail has categories, primary social forums, updates, et cetera. Uh, but they're not granular enough. They're not configurable enough, and they don't adapt to your specific needs. And when you start using Superhuman, it actually goes through your inbox, and it's like, oh, huh. Jason does a lot of Notion. Jason does a lot of Figma. We're going to go ahead and turn those on preemptively. Now, I think when you started using the product, we didn't quite have that, so it didn't turn on for you. But any new user would experience that.
0: Yep, and I think it's and it's great that that happens. But there also may be a a grouping that's really important to someone that's not intuitive or not obvious, but like it's great that you can you can set that up to to because as here's the, I think what was sort of for me a maybe a light bulb moment is superhuman definitely has an opinion and what I mean by that is like you've built a system for doing email and the system kind of pushes you into handling your email that way because it's good for you <laughs> but it also that tool for me was made it made it obvious that yet this tool is also flexible enough that you can adapt this piece of it to fit your own workflow. Like if there are things that are important to you, if there are groupings that are important to you, like just go ahead and make it a split inbox. Like it's it, fine. If if the ones that we give you aren't enough, like superhuman's not telling you, I'm sorry. Like, cause you're right. Gmail, it's like you get the ones that are newsletter, forum update, whatever you mentioned. That's it. Forget about it. Like you just get those views. And actually if you don't, I don't even know in Gmail, cause I, I have this saying that friends don't let friends use gmail.com. Uh, because there's a lot better option just because it's ugly. But anyway, so I don't even know if you can turn that off, but I couldn't figure out how if that's the case. So you're kind of locked into that system. But I really like that it, as opinionated as superhuman is in a good way, it's also flexible enough to adapt to the way that you like to handle
1: it. Right. And and we designed with that early on uh, to use a a sideways analogy here. Yes, we do have a religion on what email should be or how you should do it but the church is open to whatever practices you may have. And it's, it's, you know, very permissive. You can use the product in, in any way that you want to process with the workflow that you have and it will work. And, and what we're able to say is, well, have you considered doing it this way? You know, this way you can maybe save four hours a week or reply eight to 13 hours sooner.
0: Yeah. Now, I want to make sure that you have a chance to kind of walk through the rest of the ways the superhuman, but I'm actually really excited because I started using the AI feature (laughs) and I've actually responded to three emails today purely using the AI and I was like sort of blown away because the first thing it does when you set it up is... it says it's where I'm going to read your, well, it doesn't say it like this. We're going we're gonna to process your email so that we can respond with your tone. And the first email I I said, re- respond to this politely to decline. And it did what you expect maybe chat GPT to do, but then it gives you the option rewrite in your own voice. And as soon as it did it, I was like blown away. I'm like, that's exactly what I would have said, right? The, the first version wasn't quite, but it, it gave you that. And I feel like this is going to be and you and I actually previously talked about it, like this feels like the killer app for generative AI is taking these tasks off and getting people started because I think it was the Grammarly CEO who told me once that like the bad communication skills cost businesses something like $300 billion a year, right? And lost sales opportunities, lost whatever. This is going to help fix that. This is like a tangible thing that's going to improve people's productivity. So I I just kind of love to hear you know, how you guys built that, what your thinking was and how you see it improving
1: people's email. Right. First of all, amazing, amazing to hear that. That is exactly what we designed that to do. Uh, so the first thing we aimed at was yes turning an idea into a fully written email and the experience if you can imagine it is just to jot down a phrase or two and we'll turn that into an email that is written in the voice and the tone of the emails you've already sent you can also reply to emails instantly just like you did politely say no and you'll get a fully written email I think it is a toss-up right now in terms of what people think the killer app for generative AI in email is going to be. I've heard from a lot of folks that it's what you said, which is, yep, this thing can write in my voice and tone, and nothing else has ever done that before, and that's going to save so much time, which, by the way, I agree with. Staring at a blank page is hard. I mean, you're a professional writer. Maybe it's easy for you, but... uh, No, it's still hard. A lot of us. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. (laughs) But yeah... Especially for tricky emails, you don't know how to start it. Um, Even just say no politely, even if it's not quite what you would say, if it gives you a draft that you can then edit, it solves that blank page problem. That is very, very time-saving in and of itself. But the other thing that people say, and this may be the killer app, is automatic summarization. Now, there is a summarization feature built into the AI uh, uh, superhuman AI that we launched yesterday on the on the 19th of July. Uh, when you're writing, when you're forwarding, when you're replying, you can summarize long conversations. And I think we've all struggled with conversations that take forever to catch up on. Well, now you can create a summary and catch up on those in an instant. But where we're headed in the future is actually preemptively computing those summaries and putting them in the user interface of the product itself. So you can see a nice one-liner uh, for a thing that may be thousands of words long, and you can expand that one-liner into maybe five to 10 bullet points to quickly catch up on what happened, that may be the killer use case.
0: No, and I think you're right. And that's a thing. For example, you mentioned Notion. I actually use that a lot in Notion because I will do research on something I'm going to write about and have four or five articles. And then I can just, you know, they have an AI tool built in where I can say, summarize these five things. And it will will help me to pull out some of the important points. And it really hadn't occurred to me that that's a thing that would be useful in, in, in your email. But I'm imagining like times where you may be the fourth person on a thread with 25 people. And by the time you realize you, it's now time for you to engage with that particular email thread, you hadn't read all the other emails because you have other things to do and going back and like sorting through what, what the actual, no pun intended, but thread is, is something that, yeah, your email app should absolutely
1: do that for you. It should. And yeah, right now it's it's really hard. So I, I think we'll see this become a very standard feature, not just an email, uh, not just in apps like Notion, but in almost every productivity or collaboration app that we use is the idea of a summary or a catch me up from what happened last time. It's going to save us a bunch of time.
0: Okay. So let me just put you on the spot. This is not like strictly a business podcast, but I am curious because the news this week was that You know, Microsoft announced that they're going to charge $30 a month per user for Copilot, which is essentially their generative AI built into the Office or, you know, Microsoft 365 suite. Obviously, Microsoft sees this not just as a productivity tool, but as a very valuable asset that they can that they can monetize. And I imagine a lot of people like I've used the beta where you can tell it to take a sales presentation and turn it into a PowerPoint presentation. And I'm like, yes, yeah, sign me up for that kind of thing. Is this like at, at this point? I just turned it on. As far as I know, I didn't have to mail anyone a check. Do, like for, is a business perspective, do you see this as a opportunity to? Um, you know, further monetize the product? Or is this a thing where you're just, we're we're just going to use this because we're already
1: charging for this service and we believe that this, this is a value add? It's not really, I, I don't see it as an opportunity to charge more. Uh, maybe I should. Maybe I'm. I'm not being CEO. Now. I put you
0: on the spot. I did, The question just occurred to me, so I apologize for just like asking you to tell me. Will this be free forever? If you're not prepared to do that, then I don't I know. Totally I, I mean, I'll
1: I'll <laughs> I'll candidly answer. Uh, so so frankly, we've been waiting to see what what the big boys do. And yes, Microsoft is charging thirty dollars a month extra for Copilot. I don't know if you saw the Salesforce news. They're charging fifty dollars extra per seat for what they're calling Sales GPT and yep. Service GPT. And so the precedent is definitely there. I, I know that Notion also has had a lot of success uh, upselling their AI tooling for teams. Also, so the precedent is on the Notion side as well. Uh, but right, we're, we're we just launched this thing yesterday. So what we want to do is we want to see how people use it. What is the cost profile to us? Uh, what is the value people are getting? Certainly, the value seems to be really high. Uh, Any pricing expert would tell you don't price on cost, price on the basis of value, and there's a lot of rationality behind that. Uh, But I I think the short answer is we'll we'll wait and see. Right now, technically, the feature, whilst available to everyone, is in early access. And what we mean by that is we are changing it daily. Uh, We may charge for it down the line, or what we might do is just a wholesale price increase. Uh, Superhuman has been $30 a month since, since day one, gosh, like for six, seven years now. Um, And so we're we're sort of overdue anyway, Uh, but no, you know, no decisions. It's, uh, it's a wait and see moment. And certainly the direction of Microsoft and Salesforce has been interesting. The only data point we don't have is what is Google going to do? Yeah. Google's in an interesting situation there. I, I agree with you on that. So what, when you look
0: at customers who have been using it, what is some of the feedback, like, that they've been giving you, even though we're pretty early days on this, obviously AI is a thing that every business is trying to figure out. How do I use this to add value to my customers. What are the customers telling you? What are your customers telling you about how this has been adding value?
1: Yeah, I'm just heading to superhuman.com slash love so I can actually read some okay. of these out. Uh, here we go. Testing superhuman AI in different languages is absolutely mind-blowing. It seamlessly operates in Spanish and French, delivering results that will leave any business professional astonished. Thank you for the incredible products. What an investment. That's an interesting one because it, uh, it, it was an international use case. And uh, I was a little surprised. Uh, about 30% of our revenue is international, and that's growing. Uh, and it was it was just really great to see this immediate adoption by many of our users who are actually doing business in multiple languages. Uh, another one over here, been using superhuman AI for a little over a week, and I must say it's pretty amazing. Uh, what I've learned works best is writing what you want in line breaks instead of a big paragraph. Uh, and, and so on and so on. It's, I mean, it, it's like a, I'm literally looking at a wall of love. So the response has kind of blown us away. It's the biggest launch we've ever had bigger, even than superhuman for outlook last year. And I think it has this overall effect on the business, which has been great to see as well. Just in the last four weeks, we've seen the four best weeks that the company has ever had. Yeah, that's cool.
0: You know, as you were reading off that, that, uh, feedback or that, that from the superhuman.com slash love. I was going to call it the love wall. I don't, that seemed like a weird thing to call it, but I didn't know what else to call it, but I was thinking, I just pulled up another email and I thought, Oh, I could say respond to this and decline in Spanish or, you know what I mean? If an email came in, that wasn't from someone who speaks a different language. And, and while I personally don't have to deal with that a lot, there are times when I know I'm dealing with someone who is not a native English speaker And I could just ask superhuman to respond in their language, right? Like that's, that's a huge
1: use case. It is. And I'm, I'm guessing most of our audience here is English speaking. So I'll I'll just relay this little anecdote. I had an email a few weeks ago now from this chap, Celine, who was emailing me from Paris and he wrote in, he said, Hey Rahul, I love superhuman. Here are some product feedback. And at the end of the email, he apologized. He said, by the way, I'm sorry for my broken English. English is not my first language. And I thought, well, first of all, how sweet. Secondly, how so very unnecessary and what right. a world we live in where you, where he has to make or feels like he has to make that apology. It shouldn't be that way. So I, I wrote him back and I selected the draft. And of course, I, I hit the shortcut and I said, make it French. And it was the first time, it blew him away. It was the first time he'd ever interacted with a US corporation that actually bothered to write back to him in his own native language. I think we can expect more of that going forwards. And as this tooling becomes more available to everybody, it's just, it's more humanizing. It'll it, I think it'll tear down barriers in certain ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, uh, our daughters just traveled to Spain with my parents and I had to you know, because their minors had to send with them a letter saying, you know, they're allowed to leave the country with people who are not us. And there was a medical release. And I realized, well, they're going to Spain and they're going to the Netherlands. Whatever I write in English should probably also be in languages that someone in those countries might be able to understand or otherwise this whole thing is pointless. And, you know, I I just use chat GPT. But if I was emailing something similar to that, it makes, you know, this could be the third killer app is that it's going to take down the barriers that sometimes we might have communicating with people who speak other languages. So I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, now, I hope so too. Yeah, now, so you also have some news. We definitely need to save a couple minutes here because we need to talk about the news that you are announcing, which is, well, I'll let you
1: tell me we do we are launching perhaps the most requested thing from our customers since we started recording things and that is superhuman for android it is in the google play store today for the first time the fastest email experience in the world is now available for all android users
0: okay so i want to just back up for one quick second which that's very exciting for android users absolutely and i I generally live with an iPhone but I also almost always have an Android device just because of the nature of what I do I'm testing things and testing software and testing devices but obviously as an as an iPhone user I'm thinking there have to have be like more requested features because I am very iOS centric and because it's only been used on on iOS it's it's sort of like that seems surprising to me, but t- like, who is it that
1: is asking for this on Android? Uh, maybe it's easy to forget if you, if you live in tech land or you live in startup world,
0: but I Android, to is,
1: <laughs> right. Android is the biggest mobile operating system in the world. Even in America, it's responsible for north of 55% of site traffic, and it's 70% plus of mobile devices globally.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna take your word. I just don't believe you, but I'm gonna pretend like you're what you're telling me is actually true. I don't know why anyone uses it. I'm just kidding. Actually, I have like a pixel here, and it's perfectly fine. There's there, don't send me emails, people. Um, so it took obviously superhuman's been out for a while now. I'm I'm just curious if it was your most requested feature. Is there what what first of all what took so long and second of all. Is it on parity with the iOS version? Are there some differences? It took
1: about six months to design and 18 months to build. This stuff takes time. The main reason is it was super important to hit the same level of quality, the same level of speed, remarkable quality, blazingly fast on Android as we do on desktop and iOS. And as I'm sure you can imagine, and anyone who's ever made for Android will know Android doesn't have the same kind of ecosystem as iOS. There's only a handful of iOS devices, whereas Android is available on thousands of devices from hundreds of manufacturers, which means we had a lot of work to do to make the app work for substantially all of them. So there was a lot of testing. In terms of parity, yes, there's parity when it comes to those most important things like quality, like speed, performance, which is what Superhuman is known for in terms of feature parity, we are going to be doing that live with our users. So we have the most important things, the features that we talked about, things like split inbox, things like reminders, those follow-up reminders. Uh, We also have snippets that we didn't talk about, but that's a very powerful templating feature. Uh, But there will be other things that will be coming shortly, things like read statuses, things like typing indicators, things like uh, blocking senders, uh, the so-called long tail of features. Those are yet to come. And uh, we, we kind of want to figure out the order with our users. So, you know, if you are not a Superhuman customer and you become one and you use Android, or if you are and you download the app, uh, just let us know. Hello at superhuman.com. How should we prioritize these Android features?
0: That's that's great. And, and I, I joke about Android, but obviously it's great that you know, by most people who are using an Android device by default are just probably using the Gmail app, which again, you can do better. There's a better option. And now, like my opinion, maybe the best email app available, uh, is now available on Android. And so I would encourage if you are listening to this and you use Android, definitely check it out. Uh, it, it, I think that it, I think that people shouldn't be afraid of the fact that it has an opinion. <laughs> I keep using that phrase. Uh, but I think that, you know, even Gmail has an opinion. Gmail is very different than IMAP email, right? Like it's it, it certainly has its own opinion. I think that if you're using Android, uh I highly recommend that you that you you know. I'm just saying that, like no one asked me, Raul didn't ask me to do that beforehand. Uh, I I just
1: genuinely think that it will change the way that you look at it. Thank you for saying so. And yes, I did not ask Jason to say that. Uh, I am just looking at some quotes, but before we, we jumped on this recording from our beta users. So we've had nearly a thousand people using and testing the app over the last few months. Thank you to all of you. You know who you are. And they say things like, the speed of it is great. It's much more responsive than Gmail. Very snappy, always feels fast. I love the way you switch from one account to another account, uh, which as, as you know, Jason, you just tap in the bottom right-hand side. With Gmail, you have to go up and swipe the badge, and it's counterintuitive. Frankly, it's changed everything about my workflow. So we are super excited to get this out.
0: Yeah, and it's great. And if you're worried because you love the way that Gmail searches, I personally have found that the search on superhuman is is scary good, <laughs> like it finds things that, that I'm surprised that it's able to, to search back that far and, and find things as fast as it does. And so if, if the thing you really care about is getting through your email quickly, uh, there's a reason that it's called superhuman, right? Like that's, that's the perfect name for this. So Raul, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I, I'm congratulations on the launch of superhuman on Android and thank you for kind of talking us through the things that people should be doing differently with their email and specifically how superhuman is solving that problem for, for, for a whole lot of people. And hopefully now that it's available on Android, even more.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me and being such an amazing host.